falling. The Cosby's down about a quarter of a percent. Uh, looks like the Hang Seng is going to add about 0.7% at the open. In the commodities markets, Brent crude oil right now is at $43.80 a barrel. And gold is slipping in Asian trading this morning at $1,864 an ounce. Thank you very much for listening uh, this morning. Do please join me again tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock for Money Talk. Back chats coming up after the news with Hugh Chiverton and Janice Wong. Just before that, the weather forecast... Uh, fine and dry. Maximum temperature is going to be about 26 degrees. And the outlook is going to become cloudy with one or two rain patches later tomorrow and over the weekend. Sunny intervals early next week. It's 20 degrees right now. 61% relative humidity. Coming up to 8.31, here's Samantha Butler with the Half Hour News. A law professor says it seems Hong Kong's mini-constitution is becoming more and more irrelevant after Beijing ousted four pro-democracy lawmakers, labelling them unpatriotic. Fifteen of their colleagues are resigning in protest, leaving only two pan-democrats left in the legislature. Professor Johannes Chan from the University of Hong Kong said the legal basis of Beijing's decision was unclear. He said it was neither an amendment to nor an interpretation of the basic law. and institutions are banned by the law. And now it seems that all these fundamental premises are gone. The basic law can be interpreted arbitrarily. The basic law procedure can be sidestepped. New procedure can be introduced. And it seems the NPCSC is above the law. They can just pass any decision or adopt any decision without any regard of the procedure in the basic law. I think inevitably, our people's confidence in the rule of law will be undermined. And increasingly, it seems The pro-government camp denied Beijing was trying to crush dissent and said it would help restore order in LegCo. An infectious disease expert has suggested the government ban hotels offering quarantine from taking in regular guests to prevent cross-infection. From tomorrow, all travellers flying into Hong Kong except from the mainland must do 14 days hotel quarantine due to the worsening pandemic overseas. University of Hong Kong professor Ivan Hung says the fourth wave of infections has probably begun in Hong Kong as the strain here has significantly changed and is similar to the one in Nepal. He said returnees in hotel quarantine may have infected others. Recently we have confirmed that from mid-October onwards the strains of the coronavirus has changed significantly, meaning that probably the fourth wave has already begun. The strain is now similar to the Napanese strain that has come in in late September. So we believe that there may be some cross-infection between some of the newly diagnosed patients who are staying quarantined in the hotel and then cross-infected with people who are staying there for staycation. Hong Kong confirmed 18 new cases yesterday, 12 of which were from Nepal. Britain has become the first European country to exceed 50,000 deaths related to the coronavirus. UK government figures show almost 600 people who tested positive for COVID-19 died over the past day. The Prime Minister Boris Johnson warned the fight was far from over. We're very much hoping that two things will start to come to our aid. Uh, number one, the mass testing, the, the rapid turnaround testing. And then the other thing is now the prospect, the realistic prospect of a vaccine. So you have a kind of, as it were, two boxing gloves to pummel the disease in the weeks and, and months that follow. You're listening to the news on RTHK.
Good morning and welcome to Back Chat. I'm Hugh Chiverton. Your co-host today is Janice Wong. Janice, good morning to you. Good morning, Hugh. Today we're talking about kicking out lawmakers and travel bubble plans. The SAR government has announced that pro-democracy lawmakers Alvin Young, Dennis Kwok, Kwok Kaki and Kenneth Lung have been stripped of their seats in LegCo with immediate effect. The move came after the MPC Standing Committee passed a resolution saying that legislators who promote or support Hong Kong independence refuse to acknowledge China's sovereignty over Hong Kong, ask external forces to interfere in Hong Kong's affairs or commit other acts that threaten national security should be disqualified. The 15 remaining pan-democratic members of LegCo have announced their resign making good on their pledge to quit if the if Beijing ousted any members of their camp. Well, what do you make of the decision? Will LegCo be a rubber stamp? And after 9.15, we're going to be discussing the travel bubble arrangement with Singapore. Let us know your thoughts. You can leave a message on our Facebook page, Bankchat and RTHK Radio 3. You can email us, bankchat at rthk.hk, or you can call us, and our telephone number is 233-88266. That's 233-88266. Joining us for the first part of the programme we have now... Uh, uh, Professor Simon Young, Associate Dean at the Faculty of Law at the University of Hong Kong. Uh, Emily Lau, former Democratic Party lawmaker and head of the Democratic Party. And John Burns, Emeritus Professor in the Department of Politics and Public Administration at the University of Hong Kong. Simon Young, good morning to you. Good morning. Your thoughts on this, well, first of all, this decision, the decision, the MPCSC decision. Yeah, the first point to make, of course, is about the uh, flip-flop in decision-making. Uh, we heard in August that uh, this, this uh, one-year LegCo would just allow all the members to continue, and then suddenly there seems to be a sudden change of uh, decision that uh, the four who were uh, not allowed to be nominated for the next election uh, are now going to be disqualified. There's been no explanation at all that's satisfactory as to why there's been this sudden change of I th- mind. I, th- I, think the, I think the chief executive at the time said she could see no, there was no reason in law why, the, why they shouldn't be restored, or shouldn't continue. That's right. And now suddenly they're saying, well, they should be disqualified. Uh, so, it just, uh, I mean, I, did, I guess there is, of course, a legal reason that there is no uh, lawful power under uh, Hong Kong law. Uh, hence, that's why uh, they had to resort to these extraordinary means. And that raises a second point, which is re- really the legitimacy of calling upon the Standing Committee to make such a decision. And I think for common law eyes, uh, it's uh, quite uh, extraordinary in that uh, it is a, a decision uh, which is purported to be made under legislative power that is directed at specific individuals uh, under our common law system. Legislative power is not uh, usually uh, uh, used in this way. Laws are made for the general public. But this decision obviously is directed at uh, four individuals. Uh, and uh, that's something that we haven't seen with these uh, standing uh, committee decisions before. They've always in the past been general. So this is somewhat of a new development uh, and obviously driven by the necessities in the situation because the Hong Kong government wasn't able to deal with what appears to be a dysfunction in the legislature, uh, they've had to call upon uh, higher authority uh, to do this, and and, uh, hence uh, we're in a bit of a constitutional crisis again, because every time the standing committee uh, power is invoked, uh, there's always a concern that uh, it's violating separation of powers, because it seems like they're uh, making new law, uh, and uh, that should, we have uh, existing procedures under the basic law for the standing committee to make new law. Of course, we saw that with the national security law, when the 
doesn't seem to be following that procedure. And of course, we have courts to interpret uh, the meaning of upholding the basic law and uh, pledging, pledging, pledging allegiance. Um, so yet, uh, it seems to have been taken away from the courts uh, uh, in making this uh, decision. Uh, isn't it the case that the Standing Committee can do whatever it wants? Well, I wouldn't want to go that far, but uh, when it comes to interpreting uh, provisions in the basic law, uh, that is that's exactly true. We certainly wouldn't want to encourage the thought that they can do whatever they want. Um, we like to think that there are some uh, basic norms that they have to adhere to. Uh, we might like to think that, but isn't the reality that they can't? They are the supreme authority, the last word. Uh, when it comes to um, legislation in, in Hong Kong. That's right. And, and there are very few checks and balances. Um, and that's, that's another problem with the legitimacy of this power. Uh, and, uh, it, and in fact, it is, one may say that uh, uh, this is a power that is extraordinary and quite worrisome. Uh, but I think in the past we have seen that it's been invoked really only when it's been necessary. So. Uh, hopefully we can keep it uh, like that. Uh, I would say that in this case there is a sense of necessity given that uh, the government uh, wanted to uh, deal with this issue, uh, but they didn't have the, the powers to deal with it uh, uh, under our existing law. And, and of course, it, they needed to amend existing Hong Kong laws, and, and you wouldn't be able to do that if the, if the legislature was dysfunctional. And there, there may be a necessity, but is there no other way? I mean, we have our own mechanism for kicking out lawmakers, don't we? I mean, that is uh, Article 79 of the Basic Law. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and they didn't try that uh, at all. They, they, uh, it's not entirely clear, probably because they, feel, they felt they weren't going to get enough votes. You need two-thirds uh, on a, a motion from all legislators. Um, uh, so it's unclear why they didn't try that uh, in the first place. Um, oh. Well, Maria yeah. Tam, Maria Tam, a deputy director of the uh, Basic Law Committee. I mean, she seems to think uh, Article 79 is not suitable for use in this case because we're not dealing with the normal operation of the council, but a special one-year extension of the LegCo. I mean, does that make sense to you? Mm, not really. As I understand, 79 it deals with breaches of the oath, and that's exactly uh, what the Standing Committee's decision uh, is uh, addressing. And, uh, in fact, now that we have the standing committee decision, you can now uh, probably make greater use of uh, 79. And I'm sure that they, they will, because now we have uh, further grounds uh, as to what it means to breach the oath. In fact, this is what has happened. They've expanded the meaning of uh, breaching the oath uh, to include these four additional grounds. Uh, and so uh, maybe that was the concern, is if there was some, some lack of clarity about what it means to breach the oath. Uh, the, the decision does say that uh, the, the member can be disqualified uh, when they've um, carried out one of those acts uh, and the member is so decided in accordance with law. So, uh, you know, this is made with reference to the decision by the, by the uh, returning officer. Um, uh, does that mean, uh, well, I mean, what are the implications of that? Does that mean, and in future, who has the right to determine whether a person has has uh, breached those terms or not? So, as I understand it, um, it doesn't confer a freestanding power in the executive to disqualify legislators. Uh, you still have to act in accordance with some uh, finding made accordance uh, to law. Yeah, it says uh, in accordance with law. That's right. And so that acts as a certain kind of restraint. 
Um, but uh, the, the decision, of course, has now widened the grounds and, and made it quite clear uh, uh, what it means to, uh, uh, well, I shouldn't say very clear. In fact, the grounds are actually rather ambiguous. Uh, but uh, they have certainly widened uh, the grounds in terms of uh, what it means to not uphold the basic law or, or not to uh, uh, be loyal to basically. Uh, uh, but do you, do you accept that there, there, is a, there was a real problem? Is that the implication of what you were saying? Uh, there is a real anomaly in that these legislators were deemed not fit to stand in the next even to stand, you know, for consideration for the next legislature, but they can serve in this legislature. That doesn't seem to make sense. That seems to be a real anomaly. Well, I, I, I say, as I started with, there was this flip-flop decision. Because, I mean, I can understand why you might say, well, uh, they might not be uh, uh, qualified to be nominated for the next legislature, but we'll, we'll let them stay on for one year. But suddenly there's been a sudden change in decision-making, so I, I don't quite... Uh, understand that, and I guess it probably it's driven by pragmatic, pragmatic considerations. In, in that this one-year legislature doesn't seem to be able to do its uh, its function. Uh, so, um, uh, yeah, I think uh, um, there is that concern that has sort of had, had, uh, hasn't been well explained. Uh, is this does this do harm to the basic law? Do you think this decision? Well, I guess the question is, does it do any more harm? Because we have seen uh, the standing committee interventions. We've got the national security law now. Um, I think one thing that uh, is of concern is uh, how uh, the Hong Kong government uh, did actually uh, disqualify these individuals. Because although they said that uh, there needs to be a legal basis, um, the actual legal basis for disqualifying these four individuals seems to have come from the decision itself. Uh, so it's not some other legal basis uh, that, that was already pre-existing in law. So that seems to uh, uh, set, suggest that now you can have standing committee decisions that are directed at individuals, uh, and then they empower the Hong Kong government to then uh, act accordingly. So it seems quite clear that it's acting in a lawmaking uh, role not just sort of clarification uh, or interpretation of the law. Okay, well, Simon Young, thanks for, for joining us. I know you, you've got to go to a meeting. Yeah. Uh, Associate Dean of the, of the Faculty of Law at the University of Hong Kong. Uh, uh, a former professor uh, in the Department of Politics and Public Administration at the University, John Burns, joins us uh, as well. Um, do you, what, what do you make of the decision, first of all? What do you make of the decision? And, and that, uh, that flip-flop that Simon Young referred to. I mean, I think this is uh, the Communist Party marching us towards executive-led government. If we look back at what, uh, when the basic law was first drafted, we can see that, um, at least at the time, this is what the central government said they were uh, providing for Hong Kong, executive-led government. And, they, and then if you look at the provisional LegCo, um, in 1997, you can see a kind of distraught C.Y. Lung, who was an appointed member of this body, uh, saying, well, this isn't turning out to be executive-led at all. I mean, you're supposed to just politely listen. Maybe you can ask a few questions of the government, and then you all agree with government proposals. So um, I think the central government's perception and 
the local government's perception is that to a certain extent the legislative council had become dysfunctional. Um, I agree with Simon that there is a kind of flip-flopping on the government's position, but then the CE has said that she was the one who sought this interpretation, thinking that it was anomalous for people who were disqualified to run in the election would continue to sit. At the time that we had this decision to um, postpone the election, I sort of thought that the pandems were on probation. That is to say, they would have watched to see what happened. Had there been no filibustering, had everything worked smoothly the way the CE would like it to have been, then this might not have happened. It's difficult to say. Does that amount to something like a rubber stamp parliament then in future, in, in, in LegCope, uh, this term and henceforward? I don't think it does. I mean, we have to remember that we have about now 43 members. It is a rough parliament, a rough LegCo, and it, um, its decisions lack legitimacy uh, to a certain extent. And the CE is hoping to say, oh, wow, this is fantastic, no opposition. But no, that's not, to my view, that's not what's going to happen. I mean, the DAB, for example, the is uh, its LegCo members are popularly elected. They have constituents. They have interests. And one thing I think that will happen is that the special interests remaining there, the functional constituencies, will be empowered. These are the, the, you know, the banking and the commerce and the property developers and all these and the, the restaurants, all these kind of people. There will be less opposition for them to press their um, special interests. And so the community here, we would be depending on the DAB to do what's right for the people of Hong Kong. Whether or not that will happen, we don't know. Let's remember that when in the geographic constituency elections, about 60 percent, 55 to 60 percent of the people vote for pandems of one kind or another. So these people are now completely disenfranchised from this from this process. We can't expect stability in this kind of an arrangement. This is a kind of fake stability, which is just brought on through repression, policing, um, and, uh, you know, the way dissent has been treated here. So I think there will be problems. Resistance just doesn't fade away. Professor Burns, are you concerned that uh, these disqualifications will set a uh, precedent for further disqualifications, for example, in the district councils, which are currently dominated by the uh, pro-democracy camp? Actually, yes. One could argue, I don't know, I mean, because as Simon has said, the criteria are vague. One could argue that simply by resigning in mass, the remaining LegCo members uh, the pandems uh, have disqualified themselves. So all of those would be disqualified. And then district councillors uh, applying the same 
loose, vague standards um, could be disqualified as well. So the entire pandemic uh, political universe could be uh, drastically shrunk as a result of this. So what do you see as the future of the uh, pan-democratic camp then? Let's remember the 60% so or 55% of the voters who support them. Um, these people are not going to go away, and I think they would be looking for um, for representation. Um, I think that, you know, among the district councillors also, there are people who see that elected politics is an appropriate way to go. So, I mean, one possibility is that new voices will emerge. The, the Communist Party is trying to uh, narrow the grounds for debate and for dissent in Hong Kong, and it is doing this by by removing these uh, spokespeople for um, based on um, the criteria, you know, that we have discussed. So I am worried about this. I count myself as a pandem myself, and to be disenfranchised. We've always been disenfranchised simply because we can't vote for the CE, and we cannot. We've got half of LegCo in these special interests over which we cannot. We have no say. So it's a very worrying uh, development, I have to say. But th there's, uh, it's unstoppable, isn't it? There's, uh, Beijing is the ultimate authority and holds all the cards. The Democrats you are none. You're absolutely right. I mean, this, you know, here we are 23 years or so after the uh, 1997, and the Communist Party is saying, well, you know, the executive-led government that we provided in the basic law, it's failed to materialize. And so you are right. The, the central government and the CCP, they have all the cards. They can, they, Simon was a bit reluctant to say that, uh, to agree with you that uh, they can do whatever they want here about uh, what the basic law means. But I, I'm, you know, take a political perspective and I would say absolutely they can. The basic law is whatever they say it is. So, and whatever is convenient today, whatever is convenient tomorrow. And so this is the system that we have here. And we have to, um, I guess we have to learn how to navigate that system better, I mean, more effectively, uh, rather than just uh, opposing it and denying it. I think that is not an appropriate way forward. Uh, Emily Lau, good morning to you. Thanks for oh, good morning. For, for hanging on. Does the Democratic camp have any future? Well, of course we we have. And I think, as the two professors said, uh, many people are behind us. So it's not a time uh, for saying that uh, we are chucking in the towel, uh, the game is over. No way. Maybe we turn over a new page. Uh, it, it's a different kind of struggle. And, uh, and Beijing, of course, has called the resi mass resignation a form of confrontation and a challenge to the central authorities. So I don't know what, what they want to do next, maybe start arresting people. So uh, it's going to be very tough. But I think there are Hong Kong people who are equally tough, too. And, of course, I agree with the professor. 
we should do it wisely. But uh, the game is not over, by no means. Uh, OK, uh, MT in an email says, the pandemics have brought these issues to Hong Kong and denied the people of Hong Kong a legislature that acts properly to provide checks and balances, a milder national security law and a common-sense extradition law. Instead, we have none of this, all brought about by the actions of the pandemics who have permanently damaged Hong Kong. Emily Lau? Well, of course, uh, he is free to his views, and uh, that's Hong Kong. People are uh, allowed to have dissenting views. And uh, we know there are people who do not support what we're doing, but there are many who do and even think that we have not done enough. And that's the problem. We are very, very polarized. And the way to solve it is to have dialogue, have engagement. But no, Carrie Lam went to Beijing and asked Beijing to reverse herself because a few months ago she asked Beijing to allow the four uh, legislators who were disqualified as candidates to allow them to stay on, although people like Tam Yu Chong and Yip Kok Kim kept saying that they should be chucked out. And now she went to Beijing to say, oh, this is uh, against po- political ethics, and, and uh, give another decision. So in Beijing's eyes, she's incapable of doing anything. She decided to postpone the election and to ask NPC for help, and now it's something against political ethics. She asked Beijing for help, and she cannot deliver her policy address. She asked the Beijing for be, help. The point would be that this is a, rea- this is a reaction to the actions of, of the, of the pan-democrats. Uh, she denied it yesterday. Uh, okay, but this, you know that this, you know that this, this crackdown, this uh, reaction from Beijing, of which this is one aspect, uh, is is in reaction to the actions of, of the pan-democrats. You made Beijing angry. They warned you. They said we're getting angry, and you continue to provoke them. And you can't be surprised when they get angry and do things like this. No, maybe not. But why did why did the, the pan-democrats behave like that? He said there was no dialogue. Nobody would listen to them. Nobody would would try to find a way, find a resolution to all the contradictions, to all the disputes. All they did was to come on down on you like a ton of bricks. That's why they did what they did. So it's a series of reaction to action and, and so on. But in, in civilized places, people try to sort things out by sitting down and talk. Here, no. And I can't solve it in Hong Kong, so what do I do? I go to Beijing and ask Beijing to throw away the basic law, to throw away the rule of law, and just invent something, and that's it. So in future, no need to go to the court, no need to go to let's go for a vote. I say it, and that's it. You're out. Uh, isn't this a new order now? Uh, <laughs> yes. This is, this is an executive-led government, and this is, <laughs> this is you it's, know... It's against the basic law. What they, at least, I hope they have the decency and the honesty to say, sorry, it's against the basic law because it has a number of stipulations and if you want to change that, that's fine. You can interpret the basic law or you can amend the basic law. Now they don't bother to do any of that. So the basic law is out, really. So at least have the honesty to tell the international community, tell the people of China and Hong Kong that there's no more. It's whatever we say. Well, no, because the basic, the basic law spells out the authority of the National People's Congress Standing Committee, and they're but merely exercising out, that authority. That is in accordance with the basic law. Out, it has spelled out the procedures for exercising that authority, my dear friend, and nobody has complied with the procedure. And now it's just going to the NPC, to SC, and they say something, and 
that is it. Well, Article Seventy Nine. No, Article Seventy Nine is all about is all about the legislature and about the the role of the president of uh, of LegCo. But it, yes. uh, it doesn't refer to the MPCSE. Seventy nine seven said there has to be a vote in the council if you want to chuck out someone. So it's all written down. That's why in nineteen eighty four, some people, lawyers, they all say, "Oh, the basic law is is so good. It's all written down so clearly." But now it's all torn up. Can you honestly ever see pandems going back into Lechko? Well, I think we will fight. I think we will fight. Uh, I don't think we need to second-guess so many things. But one thing you don't need to second-guess is the people's determination to fight on. Unfortunately, we've got this virus pandemic and uh, social distancing rules. Otherwise, I, I think you see hundreds of thousands of people on the streets marching peacefully, non-violent. I think people want to express themselves, but they can't. So there is so much pent-up feeling, anger, frustration. Okay, well, Emily Lau, thank you very much indeed for joining us, former Democratic Party uh, lawmaker. Uh, and thank you to uh, John Burns, Emeritus Professor in the Department of Politics and Public Administration at the University of Hong Kong. We're also speaking earlier to Simon Young, uh, Associate Dean of the Faculty of Law. Kenneth Leung, one of those uh, legislators uh, who have uh, been removed uh, by the MPCSC uh, decision, will be joining us after the news at 9. If you've got a question for him, uh, pick up the phone if you want to talk to him directly, 233-88266. We're going to be talking later about arrangements for that travel bubble with Singapore and the weather before the news now it's going to be fine and dry the maximum temperature today around 26 degrees with moderate to fresh east to northeasterly winds and the outlook becoming cloudy with a couple of light rain patches tomorrow and over the weekend sunny intervals early next week and the readings at the moment the air temperature now at 19 celsius with a relative humidity of 72 percent In New York, the state at the centre of infections early in the pandemic, Governor Andrew Cuomo is imposing new restrictions to combat resurgent infection rates. Texas has become the first state to surpass a million cases. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Welcome back. This is Back Chat on a, a Thursday morning with Janice Wong and me, Hugh Chiverton. We're talking about the uh, uh, resignation and the uh, disqualification of legislators. Uh, that uh, resignation en masse expected to uh, follow today. We're also going to be talking about the travel bubble arrangements uh, that have been announced between Hong Kong and uh, Singapore. Um, uh, we want to hear from you. You can email backchat at rthk.hk. You can go to our Facebook page, Backchat and RTHK Radio 3, or you can call us. And our telephone number is 233 8266. You might want to talk to our next guest, Kenneth Lung, who's one of those legislators who have been removed by the uh, MPC Standing Committee uh, decision. He'll be joining us until 9.15 this morning. Once again, 233-88266. Some emails. Tom says, I woke up today and had the same thing for breakfast I had yesterday, a sign we will all get through this. Macau and Singapore have no major opposition in their parliaments and they are also having breakfast today. The pandems in Legco were giving revolution five-finger salutes, never opposed the violence and seemed to act as if they were leaders in a Hunger Games film with no consequences. They said revolution isn't a dinner party quite a few times, as I remember. While the sudden vacancy in Legco would seem to create a vast opportunity for a pale yellow centrist party to gain political power in the next election, it would be great to have an opposition party that could promote the popular localist agenda without promoting violent revolution. 
What are the requirements they would need to uphold office, not to filibuster and not to do revolutionary salutes? That is from Tom. And I've got a few emails here too, and this one is from Andrew. He says he's happy to see Claudia Mo included in those taking early retirement. Maybe she can form a new party with Emily Lau, he says. Um, then they can both try to take up the UK refugee offer. And this one is from Johnny. Johnny says, Hi, back chat. I support democracy and universal suffrage, but I have little time for the four disqualified LegCo members and most of the other pandemic politicians in Hong Kong. Frankly speaking, they only have themselves to blame. While I accept that it is not ideal for LegCo to not have an opposition camp, I will be glad to see the back of the four disqualified in, and their cohorts. Uh, and uh, Andrew in another email says, ask yourselves, this is Andrew K. ask yourselves where you live. It's China. Has nobody here ever lived in a different country under their rules? Wake up. Uh, Frank says, dear Backchat, please, someone must bring this into the dialogue. While patriotism fundamentally means affection for one's country and willingness to defend it, nationalism is a more extreme, unforgiving form of allegiance to one's country in the thought it is the best. Our CE has to be explained to the difference and to be reminded of 1930s Germany. Uh, Andy says, in the South African Parliament from 1960 to 1976, there was one member opposed to apartheid, Helen Sussman. The apartheid white minority government could pass whatever laws it liked and the legislative process was very efficient, but it didn't save them and eventually they were overthrown. Don't give up hope. Mushroom says, Carrie Lam said on the television the basic law would not interfere with most of the general public. For most of the general public, acts of terrorism involve bombs, guns, weapons, severe beatings and blood. As regards what was happening in Legco building, that was no different to a punch-up down the local pub. But the point is this interferes with the lives of thousands of the local public who have lost their representatives. Andrew Lung should have the power to say, you're a naughty boy, leave this session. And Hugh says, why are there so many optimists and or apologists in Hong Kong? It's just going to get more repressive, no matter how thin a veneer of dubious legality is applied. That uh, is from Hugh. Once again, if you want to contribute, backchat at rthk.hk. Drop us a line and we'll read out your messages or do do our best. Uh, Kenneth Lung, good morning to you. Uh, good morning. Uh, so, uh, what's your reaction, first of all, to the uh, MPCSC decision? Well, I think it was a shock, but it wasn't unanticipated, and I think it was a uh, quite an irrational uh, decision uh, without a solid um, legal ground and uh, a due process, because it's just like a, a, a decision imposed from above and then executed uh, by the um, chief executive directly. Um, so the whole thing um, just happened within a few hours um, yesterday. Uh, I mean, in one sense, it's very simple, and that the returning officer uh, said that you were not fit to stand as a legislator, and the MPCSC decision uh, really just uh, makes that, you know, gives that some some concrete form. Uh, if the returning officer has determined that, then you shouldn't be a legislator. Yeah, but the returning officer's power and uh, decision uh, should be subject to review and appeal. And if you look at um, different cases, I can't say for other people. I have uh, provided very detailed 
uh, descriptions of the or an answers to the questions raised. But I didn't want to go into detail. But um, there, there is still lack a transparent and, and, and uh, objective process to deal with the returning officers' uh, questions. And of course, uh, when Carrie Lam in August said that the um, legislature could be extended for a year, um, uh, that was quite a misleading um, message. When what she could have been in mind is that oh, we are just finding uh, some time and space um, to oust these uh, four legislators uh, who were barred uh, from running. So if that is the case, it, it should have been a, a very clear message that, well, since we were not um, eligible to, to be re-elected, we should not be going along with the extension. That, that is a more transparent and equitable decision. I think quite a few of our emailers will say... Uh what amounts to you pulled the tiger by the tail and you can't be surprised when the tiger gets annoyed? Well, um, just tell me what I have done. I mean, um, I've been in legislature for eight years and I've never been, you know, asked to be, uh, to, to, to step outside a chamber. By the well, for example, you travelled you traveled to the United States uh, with a group that was calling for sanctions against the government of Hong Kong. Well, I never said anything about sanction. I don't think sanction works, and I don't think sanction works for Hong Kong. Uh, that is the generalization of the trip, because the trip was a, a, a cross-party uh, exchange program. I mean, the, the, the um, pro-establishment camps were there, and we are just exchanging views on Hong Kong, and that is the whole purpose of the trip. I, I was just trying to understand the mechanism of the sanction so that you know, I, I would like Hong Kong to avoid, I mean, by, by any means, any, any sanction. And the U.S. should think twice before imposing any sanction, because sanction, uh, has history has told us, never works. Uh, I think those same uh, people would say, not only though have you done harm to your own cause, but you've done harm to to Hong Kong. You've left us with a with a a rump parliament, or, or however you want to characterise it. Uh, we've we've got you know further restrictions we've, from the national security law uh, and so on. The whole of Hong Kong is suffering because of the actions of the of the pan democrats being provocative towards the the sovereign power. Well, I, I can't say for the rest of the uh, pandemic, but you, you look at what we, what the four of us have or have not done. I mean, we are all very rational, moderate uh, professionals trying to um, construct a debate in the legislature. Uh, and that's what we have done. And, and that's what the consequences we are facing. I, I think that the, the comments may be um, addressing to a wider, you know, um, uh, opposition, but uh, if you look at the, the, uh, what, what we have or have not done in the legislature is very clear. We are operating within the ring of the law, the rules of procedure, and basic law. And 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 one country, two system is a, 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 a great design, which you know we all have high aspiration and hope. But it seems that I mean the the, the, the running of the uh, one country, two system, and also the, the basic law can be. Uh, Interpreted and reinterpreted from time to time as you know, uh, the need arises. That is um, very uh, disappointing. So, so, looking back over the eight years uh, you've been in Lechko, what do you think you have achieved? Well, I have been uh, a member of many of the bills committee. I've chaired a lot of the very controversial bills committee, like the, uh, the one on on paternity leave. I, I, I did a lot of you know, work on the 
financial services side because I represent the accountancy sector. I, I, well, at, at this level, I, I think I, I enjoyed um, the work very much. And of course, there are some other, um, you know, areas which I think I'm not adequate enough. In, in, for example, in, in pushing forward a, a, a wider uh, a franchise for, for electing the, the, the members of the legislature and all that. And what are your plans now? I mean, now that you've been kicked out of uh, LegCo. Well, I will take a short break and then I will just, you know, um, return to uh, my professional practice. But I will stay vigilant and, you know, to uh, and, and, uh, contribute to this community and this city in other ways, definitely. And what about today? Will you be uh, accompanying your fellow pandemic politicians to, uh, uh, to submit their resignation? Oh, no, no, I, I, I will not do that because uh, they, they, they will have to do their own thing. And I, I need to sort out my office and, and there are a lot of administrative you know, things I need to attend to in the next few days, yes. Is it clear uh, how exactly you have been removed from office? Under what legislation or do you know? Uh, this is not a legislation. It is a direct decree from the uh, Standing Committee of the National People's Congress. Um, and that is not any part of the legislation. Sure, but, that is why. That, that is but I'm just why. technically, when it comes to it, how do they remove you from office? The, that decision. Well, that is a direct decree from National People's Congress implemented by, 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 by the chief executive. Um, that is not anything within the body of the existing law in Hong Kong. Uh, and, and that is enough to. So your, your, your membership is uh, ended, disqualified? No. Uh, there is a Ritual Judicial Review, and of course the decision made by the National People's Congress is based on a decision uh, previously made by a returning officer. But mm. um, as the courts are quite you know, prudent and conservative and apply for a judicial review uh, on a decision made by the Standing Committee of the National People's Congress, the chance of the is very, very remote, I must say. Okay. Uh, a couple of comments just like, I'd like you to uh, address. Uh, one is from Russell, who says, Kenneth Lung uh, allegedly solicited, solicited intervention by foreign governments in Hong Kong affairs following a US trip, including a press conference with Charles Mock and Jeremy Tam. Because of this, Kenneth Lung was barred from running in 2020 legislative elections and later disqualified from staying in the extended term of the legislature. How can, at the same time, Charles Mock and Jeremy Tam still be allowed, before resigning, to seat as LegCo members? Uh, is it the incompetence of the local government or the arbitrary of the central government that allows such inconsistencies, says Russell? Uh, do you have any explanation, Kenneth Lung? Well, I, I have no clue or idea. I, I, I chair that uh, press conference, and even in the returning officer's letter to me, I didn't say anything about sanction at all. I just introduced the nature of the trip. And as I said, sanction is not a productive way of you know, dealing with you know, uh, inter-country you know, diplomacy. It is unproductive. I mean, uh, powers, foreign countries should be engaging in, in constructive dialogue. That's the best way to deal with any disputes or conflicts. Okay, TC on Facebook says, while I take no joy in seeing the downward spiral in Hong Kong's political development, I do find it a silver lining that the traditional pandemocrats stuck in this embarrassing position. 
I wish the people who accepted the MPCSC's reappointment and are now resigning en masse to leave Hong Kong's political circle and never return. These people have been pulling the leg of Hong Kong's democratisation momentum. These people think about their seats and associated resources more than the noble idea of democratisation. I have to remind those traditional pan-democrats that they reacted negatively to Wong Yuk Man's call to resign en masse over Article 23 legislation in 2003 and notwithstanding the Civic Party refused to actively participate in the five areas referendum in 2010. Furthermore, during the oath-taking controversy in 2016, the pan-democrats criticised Sixtus Lung and Yao Wai-Ching, treating them as if they were radioactive. Now these pan-democrats are in their shoes. How am I supposed to have any sympathy for them? That's from TC. Mr Lung? Well, I think there are various views from the community when to uh, have a uh, resonation on mass, but I think um, we have a consensus that this is the right time because uh, the powers and the integrity of the Hong Kong legislature has been dwindling, and at this point, I think it is right just to step down. And I, I, I would encourage people who got their aspirations, will, and drive to continue this process of democratization uh, to try to run for the uh, next year's electoral election. I, I, I call on um, all young people who've got aspirations, drive and determination to do that. Okay. Well, Kenneth Lung, thanks very much indeed for joining us, former Thank you. legislator. Uh, Andrew Kay says, your present guest, has your guest realised he's going to lose his salary and benefits and desperately trying to backtrack? That comes from uh, Andrew Kate. Was he trying to backtrack? Uh, James says, I wonder how many... This is on living in the bubble. I wonder how many people will buy a one-way ticket to Singapore. What else can we expect to be announced this week? My guess is public execution of non-patriots at Wan Chai Sports Ground. And uh, Bowen says, Hugh's questioning of Emily Lau before the break and now in questioning Kenneth Leung is irrational and illogical. He said the pandemics have brought this all on themselves because the authorities had warned them they were getting angry and all hell would break loose if the pandemics were to continue to resist. But as Emily said, one has to ask why the pandemics resisted. They resisted because the authorities regularly breached the procedures and basic principles of law and fairness. If they were to give up resisting, the authorities would continue this behaviour and the pandemics will have betrayed their trust to their voters. So the argument the authorities had forewarned them is a meretricious argument. It ignores the fact that heeding the warning will be just as bad and in some ways worse because giving in under such circumstances voluntarily implies giving up one's principles and betrayal of the electorate. If you push these arguments about annoying the sovereign to its ultimate logical conclusion, why have we consistently behaved all these years as if the basic law and all that means something? That's from Bowen. Thank you very much indeed. Finally today, we wanted to turn, as uh, mentioned, to the announcement of uh, a travel bubble, uh, travel arrangements that uh, will come into effect on November the 22nd between Hong Kong and Singapore, with up to 200 people able to travel in either production a, a day uh, without the need for quarantine on uh, arrival. Uh, joining us now, we have uh, Vera Yun, who's a lecturer in the Faculty of Business and Economics at the University of Hong Kong, and Rubio Chan, co-founder of GLO Travel. Uh, Rubio Chan, maybe we'll start with you. Good morning. Thanks for joining us. Uh, yeah, what, what, what do you think of the implications of this? It's fairly modest, isn't it? It's only 200 people uh, a day. Uh, you know, how significant do you think this is? Um, you know, before, before COVID, uh, we have around uh, uh, 600,000 people uh, uh, tourists uh, traveling between Hong Kong and Singapore per year. So uh, if you look at this number, 200 people per day is not very significant uh, compared to the peak of the situation. But I think 
is a very important first step uh, for both uh, cities to have this pioneer scheme to uh, test whether a, a travel bubble like this could work. And I, I think it's a good pioneering uh, a scheme for, for tourism. And so far, what's been the response? I mean, have there been many inquiries about uh, travel to Singapore? Uh, you mean for us? Yes. Uh, we we don't we don't really receive a lot of inquiries. I think I think it's basically because we're not a, a agent that one tours for Singapore mainly. But I think that um, the, the the travel agent friends around us uh, they have been activating their tour product to Singapore. But then I don't think they are really optimistic in very short term because uh, uh, 200 people per day could be a really little. So, and you know, in Singapore, they're still having this um, social distancing rule that uh, only five people uh, can, uh, for example, have a meal together. So group tours do not work this time as well. So they only welcome... Um, uh, free, I mean, individual travel. So for travel platforms, uh, they might more welcome this measure instead of traditional travel agencies. Do you, do you think there's a pent-up demand, though? Do you think that people do want to travel? I think people want to travel. Many, many friends of mine, and including those in travel circle or not, they, they already look at uh, the, the air ticket between Hong Kong and Singapore. Uh, they look at uh, the main airline uh, website. Uh, of course, the the flight price uh, is still quite expensive compared to peak COVID level. But then, many of them think that it's still acceptable, and I think they will consider going to Singapore in, in a month or two, especially during Christmas time, because you know the they're, they're craving for travel for a long time. Mm. But do you think uh, the cost of testing is also an issue as well? I mean, many people have said it's uh, a bit expensive. I think it's an issue. Um, you know, it, it almost double the usual cost of, of travel to Singapore. Um, but then, given the, the travel desire from Hong Kong people, you know, the spend, travel spending from Hong Kong is, is quite huge this year for COVID. So, you know, they have been saving a lot of money for this and you know if, if they really want to travel i think it's not difficult to fulfill the 200 people quota per day and also we have business traveler you, the, the companies and corporates will pay for these COVID tests so i think um if if this um just to fulfill the 200 people quota i think these measures would not be such a uh, uh obstacle uh, Virian, good morning to you. Good morning. Uh, the um, Secretary for Economic uh, Development has said that uh, he hopes that uh, aviation, tourism, hotel, retail and catering business can benefit from uh, this arrangement, uh, enabling Hong Kong's economy to recover gradually. Uh, do you think that uh, hope is uh, justified? Well, I think this is a pilot scheme that um, the, the whole um, uh, scheme that may not only apply in, uh, to Singapore, but may apply to other countries in the future. So for this moment, it is really for testing out whether um, and how these things, uh, the infrastructure and the facilities would work out, because two countries have to make agreement and then to recognize each other's um, 
virus test. And then for the airport, they have to um, create an independent um, walkway and bridges for these passengers so that they don't mix with other passengers that are not in this team. And so I think this is a pilot um, team for, you know, the future um, uh, that applies to larger number of tourists. So um, at the meantime, if it's only like 200 passengers per day, it really won't help a lot. Uh, but it's to pave the way um, for future wider application. And I'm thinking um, there will be a lot of, you know, leisure travelers for this purpose because it's actually quite expensive for people beating up um, air tickets, uh, which cost like uh, two times the market price um, compared with uh, last year. And also, um, it cost maybe two thousand something Hong Kong dollars for the test. Uh, so I think mainly it would be business travelers who would take advantage of this because um, there's a need for them to travel and to uh, perhaps meet in Singapore to visit some premises in Singapore that uh, would make use of the scheme. So it won't be uh, much of a real boost then for for Hong Kong's economy. And uh, the travel bubble will be suspended uh, if the daily average uh, number of uh, untraceable COVID-19 cases uh, in a week reaches more than five in either city. Um, and, and this week, Hong Kong has already reached uh, that number. Um, is that a concern? I mean, do you think the travel bubble will um, actually uh, take off at all? Um, it really depends on um, the two governments' um, COVID measures and you know, how they manage this thing. I really don't know um, in the future how uh, the COVID situation will develop. There may be some um, days that it could work, but maybe it will be put in hold quite immediately because when there are more travelers and then they try to establish the same thing with other countries, then it increases the chance that we have more cases locally. And then it will also increase the chance that this travel bubble will be hot I will put into hot so to wait until the case number um, falls back. Um, and then when uh, when it works, um, I mean people have to plan for the trip. And then if this case number um, kind of um, make whether the scheme will work, uncertain. That is, I don't know whether in one week's time when I want to travel, there will be lower case number. Then it would be quite of an, you know, um, disincentive for me to plan my trip. So it really have to wait out to see how it works out. And that's why the government is doing it in a small scale, because it wants to try out whether it um, will in the long run work. But I mean, if you think about um, the vaccines available in other countries in the future, and then the whole situation um, dies down, and perhaps this will go on. I think the government is not going to, you know, completely remove this scheme. So it may last for like, um, you know, in in for one more year or even, you know, forever. You don't know um, what it would be. What's also, of course, a little bit odd is that this uh, arrangement has been made with Singapore uh, <clears throat> rather than the motherland. 
rather than the mainland. Uh, why is that? Um, I think it really it's how they communicate and make the uh, negotiation with the government, um, you know, in mainland and also in Singapore. And I think Singapore is a small country and is also keen to open up and welcome business travelers. Um, but for mainland, I think that the government ha- is more strict on, you know, um, protecting its um, citizens in a way that they don't want virus to, to get in, and then um, it affects the industry and economic um, recovery. So it is really the different attitude the government takes in de- in trading off between um, economic growth and um, you know virus precautions. So Singapore, I mean, it's a very small city. I think it's more akin to really, you know, get the economy um, uh, to get back from the pre-COVID level. So they want to welcome more travelers and business trips um, uh, for the majority. So um, it could revive the economy sooner. But for mainland, it's a very big country. And then they have a lot of export and all these things. They, they don't need, um, you know, people who travel into mainland. So I think I think they take different um, attitude in dealing with this issue. Okay. Well, Virian, thank you very much indeed for joining us, lecturer in the Faculty of Business and Economics at the University of Hong Kong. And Rubio Chan, thank you very much indeed, co-founder of GLO Travel. Jay, in an email, says, as a Hong Kong resident, the government should concentrate on making sure there's enough buses for local residents before we start letting the tourists back in. And we don't want tourists, we want business people to fire up our internal business, not pharmacies. Uh, that is uh, from Jay. And a few emails are on our earlier uh, discussion. Sam says, beleaguered pandems or as it is pandems beleaguered since the smooth transition they failed to reach out to china with an open mind what we hear and see today are the repercussions it was the pandems who have brought this situation upon themselves by attempting to undermine china martin lee and emily Lau and the old guard has played truant and got the new fold hooked into their agenda nothing to lament it's payback time for antagonizing beijing to a point of no return pandems reap what they sowed from now on pandems will have to do what beijing say and not engage in what you want to do pandems have taken hong kong nowhere other than trying to disrupt this financial center and martin says claudia mo last night in al jazeera being asked why all the other 15 pandems resigned on block Quote, we resign to protect ourselves from being unseated eventually. Great logic there. Emily Lau and John Burns continue along the same logic, demonstrating again that the pan-democrats keep boxing themselves in further and further behaving like a spoilt brat whose toys have been taken away but unable to make a single constructive contribution to Hong Kong and the nation in decades. The natural progression of their anti-China stance is to become even more radical, trying to appeal to the most extreme fringe groups in the future. I believe the central government took this into account by wisely introducing the NSL months earlier. That is from Martin. And Alan says, uh, Hugh said, how can you be surprised at this reaction when you pull the tiger's tail? Alan says, we are not dealing with a tiger or a triad leader. We are dealing with a government that purports to follow the rule of law. What you are implying is actually that the government is not constrained by law, 
that's purely autocratic and rules by decree. So we should just tremble and obey. That is from Alan. Thanks very much indeed for that. That's it for, for the uh, programme today, back at 8.30 tomorrow. Uh, leaving you now with the weather forecast. It's going to be fine and dry. Maximum temperature today around 26 degrees. The outlook becoming cloudy with one or two rain patches later tomorrow and over the weekend. Sunny intervals early next week. 22 degrees now and the relative humidity is at 52%. Covered with viruses and bacteria. When we touch our eyes, nose or mouth, the pathogens can enter the body. Health is in our hands. To prevent infection, follow the seven hand cleaning steps. Rub hands for 20 seconds. Rinse thoroughly. Dry with a clean cloth or paper towel. If you can't wash your hands and they aren't visibly soiled, use an alcohol-based hand rub. What if our hands get dirty again? Clean them properly. Eight thirty three, the news now with Samantha Butler. A law professor says it seems Hong Kong's mini-constitution is becoming more and more irrelevant after Beijing ousted four pro-democracy lawmakers, labelling them unpatriotic. Fifteen of their colleagues are resigning in protest, leaving only two pan-democrats left in the legislature. Professor Johannes Chan from the University of Hong Kong said the legal basis of Beijing's decision was unclear. He said it was neither an amendment to nor an interpretation of the basic law. An infectious disease expert has suggested the government ban hotels offering quarantine from taking in regular guests to prevent cross-infection. University of Hong Kong professor Ivan Hung says the fourth wave of infections has probably begun in Hong Kong as the strain here has significantly changed and is similar to the one in Nepal. He said returnees in hotel quarantine may have infected others. And the U.S. state of Georgia is to hold a full manual recount of votes cast in last week's presidential election. The original count put Joe Biden more than 14,000 votes ahead of Donald Trump. I'll have more news at 10 o'clock. Stand by for the brew. Uh, sociology prof from the University of Set and Costume Designer, great interpreter of Beethoven. As well, also shy, quiet and retiring doggy counts, co-founder of Rockefeller Records. Hello. This is really for adults, it's not really for kids. Good morning. Yeah, well, it's fun, you know. Hello. Decide of what's happening behind the myth. Good morning. In-depth interviews and also observations. Absolutely no way. On your radio and live online, this is The Morning Brew. Good morning. Welcome to Thursday. It's The Morning Brew with me, Phil Whelan. That means at 10.10, we welcome back commentator Steve Fines. And as you well know right now, the Hong Kong news cycle is the gift that keeps on giving. After 11 today, 